Welcome to the AA Pod. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have the candid conversations. I'm one of your hosts, Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches. And joining me as always is allied health business owner, Andrew. Andrew, before we start, what beer are we drinking today? Archie, today we are drinking the Nomad South Pacific Dream, which is a very exciting, it's, it's a very colourful tin that it's come in. So it's, uh, according to the little blurb on the back, it's a, it's a quaffable beer, <laughs> uh, bursting with fruity hop aromas. So it's... Uh, it's the perfect companion to transport you to a Pacific paradise. It sure is. Lots of pastel, pastel colours, light blue. Bright orange. They've done their branding well. I like it. Perfect for a Friday afternoon. <laughs> perfect, perfect for the conversation we're going to talk about today. And our topic is why work cover sucks most of the time. <laughs> I want to stress most of the time um, because we're not we're not going after all of work cover. There are some good outcomes and, and good situations in work cover, but in our experience, uh, we find that a lot of the time it sucks. Um, so to get into it, Andrew, do you want to tell me a little bit about your experience in the work cover setting? So when I started work, my first job was in occupational rehab. Uh, I worked as an EP and as a, a rehab consultant. Um, so I wasn't, when I started, I wasn't working clinically as an EP. I was working more on the return to work side of things. So... Over time, though, I did transition more. And again, like this is to provide some context. This was probably mm. 15 years ago. So the role of EPs within the work cover scheme back then is not as known mm. as it is now. So there weren't quite those same opportunities for EPs to deliver the clinical side mm. of our profession. And it was more focused on the return to work plans and assisting in managing the expectations of the insurance company, the employer, the injured person, the GP, the treating providers back then, mm. uh, working together as a team to kind of, well, ideally, yeah, well, supposedly, mm. help the person to return back to work in a safe and durable manner. It's worded very, very well when you say it like that. <laughs> I crafted that. I think that's probably what was drilled into me yeah. back then is the, uh, the role that I was doing. Right. Did you feel like that was your role? I felt like that was the role that was written down on paper mm. and it was the role that was kind of presented to me as this is going to be your role. Mm. But very quickly we kind of worked out or I kind of worked out that people have different perspectives and people have different kind of uh interests or, or stakes in the game when it comes to the work cover scheme. Um, and again, like to be fair, the work cover scheme back then mm. is different to the CIRA scheme now. So okay. there's there's been changes, which again, you can sort of question how good those changes were. Interesting. But that was ideally... Mm what the role was supposed to be. So you're obviously not in the space anymore. Um, why? <laughs> to put it bluntly. I'll take a big sip of my beer before I answer that one. Why? Why? Um, 
I think there's a few different ways to answer that question. One way is I felt like personally I could do more good and help more people in working in private practice. Mm. I felt like if I was to pursue a client caseload and a business that was based on work cover, then you have all of these different people that are kind of telling you the way that you should be looking after someone. Mm. And so the decision-making process gets pulled into, okay, well, what does the physio say? And what does the GP say? And what does the insurance company say? And what does the rehab provider say? That determined how I would see that person. Mm. And I felt like I didn't like that. I wanted to be the one that was... Uh, creating expectations for the clients of their rehab or their their treatment myself Mm. rather than other people dictating. You didn't have the external pressures from the system. Yeah, it's the system's fault. The system's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, so we we decided to go down a path that was away from work cover. We Mm. sort of made that decision quite early to not focus on work cover. Mm. There are some amazing businesses out, out there that do have mm. a big work cover contingent. This was just our decision back then mm. uh, based on what we had, and uh, but it was like a cognitive decision mm. to go away from it. And, and I still see work cover now in private practice. Um, and, I've, and I've had some awesome clients in it as well. Like some of my favorite clients I've, I've helped and, and treated and had relationships with have been, have come through work cover. Um, so there's, there's nothing against the clients themselves, but we, I mean, me personally, I have actively not seeked out more referrals for work cover because I feel like in other systems, there's just less, there's less outside influences coming in that affect what's going on in our one-on-one sessions. And so when I'm trying to focus on our treatment and our therapy together as an EP, I don't want to have to be thinking about what's the insurance company thinking about this? What's the Yoko Rehab going to be thinking about this? This guy knows, or this this client knows that, you know, I'm, at, I'm not necessarily working for him. I'm working for the insurance company or they're the ones paying me and, and their interest is to get him back as fast as possible and these sorts of things. So that's what I want to dive into. Um, and we figured the best way to do this was to kind of go through the process of how uh, your standard work cover session would go or your work cover journey would go and then talk about why we think it sucks most of the time for, for each of the people involved, each of the different players involved. I thought we'd start by going... Um, the person gets injured at work, which is what happens. And then from there, it goes to the insurance company. The process, I, I let, do you want to explain to me um, what happens on that first step? So when it gets to the insurance company. So it's, it's quite systemized, that process, in that someone will get injured at work. They will present to their doctor and their, their doctor will determine whether or not the injury was caused at work or because of work. Mm. And then when they fill out that little form, that form then goes directly to 
the insurance company mm. and the insurance company will kind of start their internal process mm. of guiding that person through their rights and responsibilities as an injured worker in in the, the state or territory they're in because they're all a little bit different from state to state. So from the insurance company's point of view, what do they want to do? The insurance company wants to get people back to work fast. Right. They just, they don't want to waste time. The case managers at insurance companies, I, I don't envy them because their caseloads are big. They're looking after a lot mm. of people and they want to try and get people back, back into work as soon as possible. Now, that might not be their exact role that they were doing before they got injured, mm. but what what research shows and what insurance companies know is that you're much likely to get better outcomes if you get people back into the workplace as soon as possible after they've had an injury. So you can already kind of see where that can cause some tension with a person, with a, with a client. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you you are injured, right? Mm -hmm. And whether that's a physical injury or a psychological injury, there's already this like, when when do you go back to work? And, mm -hmm. and who is the person that's actually making that decision? Mm -hmm. Because it should be the GP. The GP mm -hmm. should be the one that's making the decision about when someone is safe, ready to go back to work. But if we start having insurance companies sort of knocking on the door and saying, hey, yeah, there's things that this person can do that are, you know, they might not be their exact pre-injury role, but there are some things, like let's get them back quicker. Mm. Um, how does the employer, how would the employer feel about that going in a general circumstance where the insurance company is like, hey, Get, get them back to work, find a role for them to do at work that is maybe not their original role and and have them do something, whether it's an admin role or a sitting role or a part-time role. In, in larger organisations where there are jobs and roles where you need additional support in, like I feel that is a little bit easier mm. to to transition someone into a role that's sort of similar to what they were doing beforehand. But when you start working with like small and medium-sized businesses and there's not a, a clear role that they could or a value that they could create mm. by coming back to work earlier, employers start getting a bit like unsure and frustrated because they, they want to do the right thing. Most want to do the right thing. But they're not sure why this person is coming back to work if they can't do the job that they're actually being employed to do. Exactly. And they're not necessarily cluey about why um, why it's good for the person to come back to work. No, exactly. Rehab, right? Exactly right. And, and if you're... And this is, it's not just a, a distinction between white and blue collar workers. Like as a, as a small business owner myself, 
like if we had people that had to go through this scheme, like fortunately we know a little bit about it, mm. but even if, for example, one of the EPs got injured at work mm. and we had to modify their role to facilitate their return to work plan that's developed by someone who doesn't understand this business, yeah, there's still that feeling of, well, you don't understand this business. So why are you making decisions about what we should be doing on a day-to-day level? And this is someone that, you know, we know a little bit about it. But if you're brand new to this work cover system and you've got someone who's a truck driver or a Mm. pick packer in a factory or something Mm. like that and you're saying, well, now you need to create a new job Mm. or a different job Mm. for someone who might not have the skills to be able to do that job, Mm. you kind of sit there going, well, why should I have to do that? You have to almost use more resources to teach that person how to do a job they're not trained for. So and you're almost not making, like not getting any value out of them at all. It's funny because it's then dead they, weight at work. And then, well, what if they start liking that new job? Because <laughs> I, I saw that a few times. Like people got into a pre, uh, people got into a suitable duties role, mm. and they were like, "Well, I don't want to go back to doing what I was doing before. <laughs> I prefer this much better." And so there's that tension of, well, the employee saying you got to do this. Where we said we're going to try and work towards getting you back to the role that you were doing beforehand. Mm. But I don't want to do that. I want to do what I'm doing now because it's different and more challenging. Or So now we've got the, the, the person who's injured kind of uh, coming to a head with the employer saying, I don't want to do my original job anymore because this one's a bit more cushiony, uh, a bit nicer perhaps, or I don't really want to do that job anymore. The insurance company is like, sweet, we've got them back to work and they're happy. So then at some point, someone else has come and come into the mix and sometimes it could be an occupational rehab consultant. So that occupational rehab consultant would, as part of their role, would determine what are the physical and or psychological components mm. to the role that they have to get back to doing, mm. right? Um, we should also say for, for people that don't know much about this scheme, there's kind of a hierarchy when it comes to goals yeah. for returning to work. And the highest goal, the best goal, is for the injured person to go back to their pre-injury role. Like that's the best outcome that they could do. Mm. Um, the next one down is staying with your same employer but doing a different role. Okay. The third one is doing, a diff- doing the same role but at a different employer. Right. And then the fourth one is doing a different job at a different employer. Mm. So that's kind of the hierarchy of goals. Mm. And there's incentives to get people back to those higher level ones. Incentives for who? For the Oak Rehab person? Well, it, it ends up feeding through to the employer's... Uh, how much the employer pays for workers' comp insurance oh, in the future. interesting. So, again, like we're starting to see that there's different people that benefit from yeah. Yeah. A, a more favourable outcome. Right. Okay. So you've got the insurance company who want to get this person back to their role. The, the employer going, they're not ready for it or they're, they're actually being a burden here. But they get benefit 
from getting them back to their original role. There's incentive for them from the insurance company. It lowers, well, it maintains your workers' comp premiums. Oh, because employers have to pay workers' comp mm. to whoever um, every year. Mm. And if you can't return in your injured workers back to their pre injury role, mm. then you. You have to get pay penalised for that. You have to pay more every your, your premiums and more. Your premiums go up. Right. Is that that's not fair for the employers? <laughs> it's not fair for the employers. Like I know we're not talking about the interaction between like patients and their therapists and and being kind of yet brainwashed into thinking certain things. That uh, sucks. Then. And yeah, so you 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 kind of have all of these different things and. From an employer's perspective, they're not just sitting there going, well, I don't know. Hmm. They're, they're going, well, this is going to cost me money in the future Fuck. if this person doesn't go back to what they're supposed okay. to be doing. Right. So there is incentive for them to try and support that worker as much as possible to do stuff. So you, you almost don't want your... the If you're the employee, you don't want the injured worker to enjoy the other role they go into too much. They want it to be, okay, yes, be, be happy enough that you can come to work and, and be valuable but then want to do your original role. Mm. And to your point before, this is where the OC rehab provider comes in and they come into the workplace and they say, okay, well, these are the physical or the psychological demands of this role. Mm. And that information then gets passed to the treatment provider mm. and says, right, you have got this person. They have X injury. Mm. Here are the physical or psychological demands of the job. Mm. Get them back to here. Right. And when you do that, green tick, happy face, well done. So what are the occupational rehab consultants' uh, incentives slash um, goals for them? Their goals are to reduce the spending on the case, to make sure that, there's, that the case doesn't go on and on. Okay. So generally... Um, generally... They're, they're they try to move things as fast as possible. They do, yeah. Mm. Which another another group trying to move things as fast as possible. Yeah. Okay. Which makes sense, right? Well, we don't want people sitting around doing nothing. If no. if they need treatment or they yes. need uh, rehab, that mm. that has a place and a time. Mm. Uh, I think you know the the pendulum kind of swings with most things and where it's kind of swinging now is we've seen so many people who just get lost in the work cover system mm. and they don't end up or they end up not having a job to go back to or mm. things like that that the the more recent research that's come out in the oc rehab world is we need to get people back into the workplace as quick as we possibly can because mm. we know that that results in people Recovering is recovering, possible. yeah, 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 and recovering mm. is is a very uh... well. It's not a definite thing, right? Because I guess work covers definition of recovered is like discharged to self management, almost. For yeah, time. yeah, um, that's certainly the the treatment providers. Mm. Um, expectation is that can this as soon as this person can self-manage mm. great you're out mm. um, from an oc rehab provider's perspective is 
can they do their pre-injury role? Like the physical demands of that job, mm. can they do them? Mm. Yes, great, mm. done. Mm. And we know that uh, just because somebody is able to lift a certain amount from the floor to waist height doesn't mean that they're not impacted by the injury mm. that they sustained yeah. at work. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I want to I want to go to the treatment provider's perspective because that's where we have the most experience talking about it and, and why it sucks most of the time for the treatment provider. And I think the, the main thing here is that there are so many external pressures that aren't to do with you and this person building a therapeutic alliance and then finding the best way for them to recover in in due time, in however long it takes for that condition to finish. Uh, or not finish, however long it takes that condition to recover and for them to feel good about it. And trying to do that when you're getting a call and an email from an OC rehab provider and an insurance company going, are they ready yet? Are they ready yet? Can they do this yet? Can they do this yet? And then also the client getting the same calls. Are you ready yet? Can you do this yet? Why aren't you at this point? How many appointments have you had with this person so far? And a lot of the time they come into sessions and they've had a week where they've just been bombarded with questions about how they're feeling, how they're feeling, are they ready to go? That they're... <laughs> They're just over it by the time they even get to rehab. And it sucks. It sucks for them. And I've, I've had multiple occasions where I've spent most of my, oh, a lot of the time in my sessions just hearing them, listening to them kind of talk shit and unload all of the crap they've had to deal with for the past week just because of the system. And it sucks for them. It, it absolutely sucks for them. And I know you have someone um, who you have to deal with a lot where you basically just became a psychologist um, where you just have to listen or you didn't actually give any advice, I guess, because you can't. But like you had to sit there and listen for half an hour sessions weekly about how shit the system was and how lawyers are going to get involved in this. <laughs> and this. I didn't actually get to do any, and it's any rehab. In, in that situation it was awful like it was awful for him because he didn't feel like he was getting the support that he needed from the insurance company from mm. his employer from his other treatment providers or from his workplace so he was he came in and was just unloading mm. unloading mm. and yes we did some movement and yes we moved around a little bit but none of it was effective none of it was effective and it wasn't effective because nobody else was coming to the table. Mm. They were all doing their own thing in their own worlds, focused on other stuff. Mm. And he was left out of the loop with, with his return to work. Mm. Nobody was returning his emails. Nobody was returning his calls. Mm. And as the treatment provider, because I was the one that was actually seeing him most frequently, mm. it was just a venting session. Yeah which is like fine, like I'm, I'm happy to, to be a sounding board, mm. but You're not getting anywhere. We're not getting it. anywhere. Yeah. So why, why bother, right? Yeah. And it's like, it, it sucks 
it sucks from our point of view as a treatment provider because we can't actually get anywhere with that person because they're just so frustrated with what's going on with everyone else. But in the meantime, there are insurance company and rehab consultants asking us how they're progressing. Are they, are they getting better? How many more sessions do you need before we can discharge them? Like, can you spread out the self-management yet? It's like no, no, yeah, and and no is such an underutilized Mm. word within work cover because you feel compelled, yeah, oftentimes. Like, I certainly did when I was kind of starting out, like when an insurance company or or somebody that I didn't know that I thought was speaking from a position of authority was saying, Can you discharge this person now? Mm. When are you going to discharge them? Mm. I was like, Oh, uh, uh, soon, yeah, um, eight weeks. Eight weeks? Eight, I don't know. Eight, eight, more, sessions? eight more sessions. Eight more sessions. Done. Yeah. Like, I don't know that. Mm. Like, I, if I had a crystal ball that was sitting there and go, yeah, sure, in in 12 sessions, I this person will be fixed. Yeah. You're like, that doesn't fucking exist. No, no. And to, to try and put those expectations on a provider is bullshit mm. because they don't know. Mm. You don't know how many sessions it's going to take to... To help someone to be able to self-manage their condition and return to the workplace in a safe and durable way, you don't know that. And if you if you say you do, you're full of shit because mm. you don't know all of the other biopsychosocial components to what is going on with that person. Mm. I guess often I can I can only talk about from an EP point uh, perspective here, but often we're not the first people to see someone. It's very rare that they've had an injury, gone to the insurance company and their GP has gone, go see the EP for your rehab. We often get the ones that are now eight weeks, three months, five months down the track. And it's like, well, I've been seeing someone for twice a week for the last four months and they've been rubbing me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) And, and telling me to come back and, and they, they've been feeling good for a couple of days and then they don't feel good, so they go back and they're just in a cycle. And so by that point, you know, there's now all these other inputs. You mentioned the biopsychosocial input and now it's it's no longer something that I can just predict. And on my AHRR, I can't predict an expected date of discharge mm. when... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's no clear answer, but they want clear objective answers and measures it's like well what's their pain now it's five out of ten i don't know and and what's it going to be in three months and it's like well hopefully one out of ten (laughs) you know like i can't tell you that it's unbelievable it's crazy it's it's a very difficult situation that as treatment providers we get put into Mm. It's an unfair situation that we get put into mm. because we can't predict the future. Mm. We also don't know the quality of the other treatment providers that have been, or this, this injured person has been seen. Mm. So mm. we don't know what they've been told. And you're right, like we as EPs generally see these people not in that acute phase, but mm. more in the subacute chronic chronic persistent yeah what do you want to call it and there's blame and Mm. and one of the one of the shitty things that shitty providers do is they talk about why somebody is in pain Mm. 
You're in pain because of this. You did this at work and that caused your pain. You bent over and you pick up a box or whatever. That caused your pain. That was your employer's fault. Mm. Your employer told you to pick up that box and that caused you pain. And so the person there goes to see their shitty treatment provider two times a week for however fucking long and they get taught this message. You lifted incorrectly. You didn't engage your core. You didn't keep your spine in a particular arrangement. That is your employer's fault Mm. for not teaching you how to lift up that box properly. Mm. And so the the person sits there and after you've heard that message a hundred times, you're like, oh, maybe they're onto something. Mm. And so rehabilitation to that person is, well, if my employer caused me to get injured, then return to work means I am no longer in any pain. Because that's not my fault I'm in pain. It's somebody else's fault that I'm in pain. And if you have a treatment provider, as you said, that says you need to come and see me three times a week to be rubbed or to learn to engage your core or any of that horseshit, the message kind of sinks in Mm. after a little while. They become reliant on the treatment for symptom relief. They're not taught how to manage their symptoms. Mm themselves because why would they it's it's in the treatment provider's best interest to continue to see that person Mm. financially not ethically or morally but Mm. financially if i keep seeing this person they fill up my calendar for the next and and that used to be a way that it was thought about i get a new work color client excellent there's there's that's time slot in my calendar fill it up two times a week for the next three months i can literally request for $1,200 $1,200 over the next four weeks and it'll be approved with an email yep. and a signature and it's great. Done. Sorted. And then in four weeks' time, I can do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So where's where's the incentive for me to work towards helping this person in the most practical way? Well, that becomes an ethical question. That I is don't, ethical. I don't think we have two hours to get to the <laughs> ethics of financial incentive for, for treatment providers no and that's not a we're just kind of they're, they're dogs <laughs> look they are and and we don't want to go there today the the point of that was that there's blame mm. and the the poor person that's stuck in the middle has got the treatment provider telling them that this is this person's fault the employer saying well it's actually this person's fault the insurance company just saying, hurry the fuck up and get back to work. Mm. And the, the treatment provider, the EP going, copying this. Mm. The, the injured person comes in to our clinics and we just get this tirade of this person said this and this person said that and I'm just fucking over the whole thing. Mm. And so often over, over me seeing clients, that would be when people just go, fuck it, I'm just going to go back to work. Yeah. Oh, fuck it, I'm just going to cancel this claim now because I'm sick of all the bullshit that's mm. going on. They're not actually better, in inverted commas. Mm. They're just sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. And is that a good outcome? No. No, it's not. But I think that's such a... Let, let's talk about because I think you summarised it really well there about 
the main thing about why work cover sucks or the main person who it sucks for and that is the person who the whole thing is about and when we talk about how there's so many different inputs into someone's injury you've got biopsychosocial factors biomedical factors everything that goes into it with all of these different pressures that come into it including their financial safety their employers financial safety the insurance companies financial incentives and the rehabs consultants and the treatment providers financial incentives as well how the hell are they supposed to have a gold standard high quality treatment plan put together when there's all of this other shit going on that's a wonderful question and, and, but the thing is I don't know if there's an answer for it either I don't think there's a, a clear answer for it so I don't know where you actually go from there I think where the answer is is or has come from or let's just get this person back as quick as possible yeah so that we don't end up in this situation mm. with all these different people saying different things mm. let's just get them back really quickly and mm. let's just kind of throw money at the problem mm. initially yeah give people incentives mm. to get them back yeah because if we spend one dollar in the first 12 weeks mm. it will save us ten dollars if it gets to the 12 month mark definitely definitely I think absolutely it's it's front load heavily find the right providers to help this person try and progress quickly but you know safely and effectively and and give them as much support as possible mm. right, support their return to work and I think so much of that comes down to the the language that the insurance company and the rehab consultant uses with the person to to as much as possible make it sound like they're on the employee side so I think where a lot of the problems come from is that blame and distrust between the parties. So if they feel like they have more people on their side, you know, gunning for their rehab and hoping the best for their health, then they'll feel supported <laughs> and they'll feel like they then it's not them against their employer and not them against the insurance company, which is where shit goes to. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And I certainly know that, and, and you probably do as well, that work cover isn't shit all the time. Mm. And there are, and, and you, you kind of look back and you go, okay, well, where did it work really well? Mm. And it's where you had a good GP. Mm. You had a good GP who was advocating for their patient making sure that that person is getting the right treatment at the right time and making decisions with all of the information rather than just swaying to what insurance company is pushing on them or an OC rehab provider is pushing on them, setting them to the right practitioner mm. that's not going to over-service them, that's not going to fill their brain with fear and no cebic stuff and understand that it is a balance like you do have to balance the expectations of insurers and employers and um and the treatment providers but but it's the person that's actually dictating 
I think I need this. Mm. And having that discussion about, okay, well, when do you think you'll be able to go back to work? Mm. And what do you think you'll be able to do? Mm. And I think when you find good GPs mm. that are, are willing to spend more than the eight minutes yeah. with them and kind of uncover some of the hurdles that people might be facing in their return to work, you actually get better outcomes. And it's not up to the GPs to, to know all of the answers, but it's up to the GP to know who has the answers. So whether this person does need a psychologist and whether this person does need a chiro or a physio or an EP and, and having good ones of those treatment providers ready to go having the right people to send them to. So yeah, I think that's a really good place to, to bookmark it, uh, to go, work kind of sucks most of the time. But the times that it hasn't sucked is when the team in, in charge of running their rehab, which starts with the GP, knows where to send them in the first place and knows how to get the employee on side and knows actually to listen to the employee as well and hear about what they want. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. How's your beer going? It's, I'm on to my second one. It's, it's very quaffable. <laughs> very quaffable. All right. Okay. Oh, thanks, Siri. <laughs> Siri recognized quaffable. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe, um, leave a review, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening.